You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Father wounds are common. They just are. If it didn't matter, it wouldn't be a problem. But because it does matter, because fatherhood does matter, we have found that father wounds are common. The need for affirmation is important for children. The need for security, this need for security, even as we grow older, often that need is as a result of father wounds. The need for, or rather the fear of conflict. I mean, facing our fears, oftentimes those fears of conflict are a result of father wounds in our lives. So we're reminding ourselves, first of all, about God our Father. We are remembering the fact that we have a perfect dad. A perfect dad. Everybody in this room who is a born-again Christian can say, God is my dad. He is the perfect father. He, he's always there. He is a very present help in time of need. Our father, which art in heaven. God is a father to the fatherless. God is the one who fills up what lacks in us. And I, for one, would like to stand and, and confess that there have been many times in my fathering for the past 28 years as a dad that I have needed God the Father to fill in a void where I've lacked. Because I'm not the perfect father, but he is. Amen? And our kids and, and, and you yourself and even me have needed God the Father to fill up that which is lacking because nobody's ever had a perfect dad. <laughs> Amen? And nobody is a perfect dad, but we serve a perfect father. Hallelujah for that. And so uh, we've been talking about three different uh, types of fathers. First of all, we spoke about the permissive father. And this is the father that says, whatever you want. And then we talked about very carefully and cautiously and tenderly, we talked about uh, the, uh, the abusive father. And we said, this is the father that says, whatever I want. Today, we're going to talk about the passive father. And this is that father that has said, whatever. Whatever. Okay, whatever. Doesn't really matter. That, yeah, fine. That, that, that's okay. What, whatever. And so we're going to look to an example in Scripture of a passive dad, a passive father. His name is Eli. His story begins in 1 Samuel chapter number 2. And if you're not there, I encourage you to turn there to 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's always good to be looking at God's Word for just the text. And we are going to be in the text the entire time. So notice, first of all, as we begin this first part of our notes, I'm going to give you six characteristics of Eli, and these six characteristics are really characteristics of a passive father, and the first one is Eli was self-indulgent. He was self-indulgent. I want you to see it in verse number uh, 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. That's got to be one of the saddest statements in all the Bible. Can you imagine that being said of your children? The sons of Eric are worthless. That word worthless, in the Hebrew, it means senseless, vile. It, it means uh, they, they were uh, destitute. We don't have children so that they would be worthless. It's not why we have them. It's not why we father them. That's not why we raise them, to be worthless. So here's the question. How did they become this way? 
How did they become worthless? Well, we have an answer here in the text. They were, Eli was self-indulgent because of his passivity. This happened. And first of all, it happened. Look at this little custom, if you would, in verse 13. It says there was a custom, a custom of the priest. Eli was a, was a priest. And with the people, here was the custom, was that, they, that when, when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come. And while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, if you could picture this, he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And so you have here a, a, an act. It was a, there was a custom here that was probably a proper way to do this. But we see here, Eli was self-indulgent. He was very selfish. This custom was being taken to a, a level of selfishness. And these priests, uh, his sons or his servants were coming up to this pot, thrusting this three-pronged fork, taking the very best for themselves. Taking the very best of the sacrifice for themselves, not thinking of others. I think from this we learn that Eli would not address the problem because it would have made things uncomfortable for him. That's the way self-indulgent people are. Well, it's going to cause me pain, so I'm not going to do it. It's going to make me uncomfortable to talk to my children. It's, I mean, I don't want to run them off. I don't want to say something. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't want them to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. So guess what? I'll just overlook it. I'll let it go. I'll pretend it didn't happen. And, and the self-indulgent dad is one that is not interested in being uncomfortable. So he just ignores the problem. And, and notice here it says in verse number 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. As a result of the way they treated the offering, their sins were great in the sight of the Lord because the dad wasn't willing to step in and, and be a little uncomfortable. Number two, I want you to notice here that Eli knew better. He knew better. And so often I find that dads, we know what's right. We really do know what to do. We just don't do it. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 18, it says that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. I love this little cute verse right in the middle of all this chaos. It's talking about Samuel. By the way, can I stop here and say, notice the contrast. Eli, I mean, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas were their names, reckless, sinning before the Lord. And then you've got Samuel, this little boy, mentioned in chapter 1. His mother Hannah give, gave him to the Lord. He was being raised right. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then notice this. Eli, there he is, dads. There's the passive father. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. And he would say this, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And it mentions that Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Why? Well, one of the reasons why is he had a pastor. He had a priest who was involved in his life. He had a pastor. He had a priest who spoke into his life. He prayed over Samuel. He gave Samuel good counsel. You see, Eli knew what to do. He just neglected to do it with his own kids. Eli could care for people. He just couldn't care for people in his own family. 
And can I say, dads, that oftentimes I find that our kids get mixed signals. I know mine have in the past where, where we tend to be so concerned about everybody else while our own kids are not cared for. I remember when I was traveling a lot, that's what was happening in my home is I was saving, if you want to say it like this, I'm exaggerating to make a point, saving the nation, saving other kids, hosting and preaching youth conferences and youth, camp, youth camps and missing my kids' games, but, but I'm out here saving other people. I'm doing good things while at home my children are being neglected. Here's my point. I knew better and Eli knew better. He was doing the right thing. He knew how to pray with kids. He knew how to pray with Samuel. He knew how to minister to Samuel. He knew how to give advice to Samuel. But he didn't take the time to give that same advice to his own kids. And one of the saddest things that I see is when we're comfortable praying with our small group, but we're not comfortable praying with our family. We're comfortable coming to church and worshiping with our brethren, but we're not comfortable worshiping with our children. I challenge you. Not to neglect and be passive with your family about the things you're active in your church. Number three, notice here that Eli was out of touch. We find this illustrated in a very interesting statement made in verse 22. Notice with me, if you would, the first five words of verse 22. Now Eli was very old. I wonder how old very old is. I'm fine with not knowing. Amen? I'm afraid I might be getting there. However old, very old was, Eli was. And I want to say this about that statement. I believe that he was not connected to his young sons. I had children while I was in my 20s, 30s, and even my wife and I had one in our 40s. We began to see that the older we got as parents, that can be somewhat of a hindrance to connecting with your children unless you work at it. I can tell you that's what I saw happening in our church. I really did. I, 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 I was able to pick up at an early stage of our, of our church ministry that we could very easily become disconnected with the next generation. And all of a sudden what happens is churches become segregated by their age and you've got these really young, cool, hip churches where all the young people go. Then you've got the churches where you've got all the elderly people that go. And what I like to see is a church where all ages are comfortable. They're serving together. They're worshiping together. We're staying connected to one another. The old are staying connected to the young. The young are connected to the old. That's the goal here. It takes a lot of work. I can tell you for sure. I spent hours and hours and hours trying to explain to sometimes to older folks why we're making some of these changes to stay connected to the next generation. But we're not always comfortable with those changes. I agree. Listen, sometimes to stay connected to my grandchildren, I have to get on the floor and play games. KJ last week said, Papa, let's play Clue. I hadn't played Clue in like a decade. I can't remember the last time my son Zoe said, Dad, let's play <laughs> this game. So we get the game out of Zoe's room. We get on the ground. We unload this entire game. And for one hour, I lay on the floor. Can I tell you, I realized, I know I'm getting older because it's not as easy to get up after an hour. I felt things I'd never felt before. Creaks and cracks and crevices and groans and moans as I, as I got up. And I know it's only going to get worse, but I'm going to tell you why I'm going to keep getting on that floor and keep groaning when I get up to stay connected. It's worth it to stay connected to that kid. 
He needs his papa. He needs his papa to, to, to connect with him. I'm not always comfortable with it, but I'm going to get uncomfortable so I can stay connected because I find that there are things that can happen in our lives as families that create a gap between us and our kids. And sometimes it's age. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's work. What is it that's creating a gap between you and your kids? What is it that's pressing against you connecting with your children? Beware of that. Beware of that. Stay connected. Don't use it as the excuse, well, this younger generation. No, try to figure out what is going on in the younger generation. And every now and then, try to connect with it. You know, my son Mo, who is our student pastor, I remember... A year ago, he put this meeting together for parents. And the whole purpose of the meeting was to make sure you were aware of things that he was concerned. Because he would hear things from our kids and say, do their parents even know what can happen? Do they even have a clue? Why would they, surely they wouldn't let them do that if they knew. And of course, I think a lot of it is this passivity that is just, we're disconnected. I remember Mo began to talk to me about some things. First of all, he said, you know, Dad, I don't think parents seem to know that your kids can access any site on the Internet from their phones or gaming systems. Any act, any site. I mean, do parents understand that they can access pornography? They can access things that are very dangerous and unsupervised. It it can get out of hand and become very destructive to that child. Daddy said, parents don't seem to know that if your kids go to sleep with their phones, they're not like staring at their home screen. They're texting till 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. They're on all these different social media sites. And I would hear even some kids talk on the bus as I'm driving about, you know, yeah, I was up to 2 o'clock in the morning texting or Snapchatting. And I'm sure if you knew anything about that, you might be concerned. But can I tell you, the way to handle those situations is not to go home today from the service and say, kids, you heard what the preacher said, give me your phone. They're going to hate me. That's not the goal of this message. But what I would advise you to consider is going home and saying, hey, kids, you remember when pastor was talking about your phones and You know, I want us to talk about maybe having some boundaries. I want to discuss these things. I know I've neglected to do it. I apologize. It's kind of been something I haven't paid much attention to. But, you know, I'm just really considering trying to be a little more active in your lives because I love you. And so what do you think about maybe at 10 o'clock just we or 9 o'clock or what? We we just all put our phones in this little basket and leave them there until we go to school or go to work. Just approach it and then get their feedback. Oh, Dad, come on. I get it. It's going to be uncomfortable. Let's talk about it. And just, are you with me? You say, yeah, but that's going to be uncomfortable. Exactly. But that's okay. You say, yeah, but what if there's a good ball game on television? Turn it off. This is more important. But, but I had something I was going to do. And I know, but these are your kids. You see, I think sometimes we don't seem to know some things. I have this one for the screen. Parents don't seem to know that because the Bible says so, it's not getting it done for your kids. I know you wanted to get it done. I know you want to just be able to say, well, the Bible says so. But they have real questions. And they need to talk to you about the gaps between what the culture is saying and what the Bible is saying. Because that's very important. 
culture has changed. Yes, the Bible has not changed. And yes, God never changes. And I'm with you. And I understand that. But culture does change. And there are things that kids have questions about that aren't necessarily even doctrinal issues. They're just relevancy issues or this is the day and age we live in issues. And they need to talk about those things because things that are accepted now that weren't accepted then... We can't just say, well, the Bible says this, especially when we say, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter, you know, and then they're really confused, you know. We got to be willing to sit down and have talks with our kids that are more than just the Bible says. You say, yeah, but isn't that all that matters? Well, it is very important. We know what the Bible says, but it's not, it's also equally important that we're willing to sit down with our kids and talk about it and talk it out and hear what they have to say and why they're confused. Because the Bible says so. It's not nearly as persuasive as you think it should be. Hopefully one day it will be, but it may not be right now. And so our children desperately need what? They need a personal relationship with us. They need conversations. They need to be able to sit down and ask All kinds of questions. It's just part of it. It's a very... No wonder the scripture says in Deuteronomy that we... we, It it talks about sitting down with our kids. And and while we live our lives day in and day out, we put the scriptures before them. It's more than just... We did the Sunday morning thing. No, it's, it's every day of the week. It's just a lot of work. And you say, man, if I would have known this, I wouldn't have got involved. Too late. (laughs) We're in this thing. Amen? And, 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 And don't... Don't, don't, don't be deceived and think everything's okay if you're not spending time with your kids. We need to be rescued from passive parenting. Notice next that Eli had no moral authority. This little segment begins in verse 22 after it says that Eli was very old. Something was happening here. He was disconnected from his sons to the point where this could happen. Are you ready for this? You're probably not ready, but here it is. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That, that, that's a pretty devastating welcoming committee. As people come to church, your kids are out with women, laying with women, having sex with women in front of the tent of meeting. This is an ugly situation. He hears about this. Word gets back to Eli, like it was just going over his head. So finally, it just ha- it's happening so much. It's getting out there so much. All of a sudden, Eli finds out about it. Here's his response. Why do you do such things? Let me just say this right there. I don't think that's what my dad would have said to me. In fact, I, I think I'll pass on telling you what my dad would have said to me. I guarantee it would have been, so why are you doing that? For I hear of your evil dealings. It's, it's getting out there, son. People are talking. No, no, my sons. It's not good that I hear people of the Lord spreading this about, uh, about you. And then he gives a little warning. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But because this had gone on for so long, it says they would not listen to the voice of their father they wouldn't listen to him it had gone on for so long he had no moral authority and i'm convinced that eli did not restrain his sons because he knew that they knew that he had no right to do it 
It's not enough to say, do as I say, not as I do. It's not going to work. You see, what kids need are examples. Kids would rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. They would rather one to walk the walk than merely show the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers or parents are the ones who actually live their creed. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I could soon learn how to do it if you let me see it, though. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give. But there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. You see, your walk needs to talk louder than your talk. And these boys didn't listen to their dad. In fact, if you go on to chapter 3, chapter 4, I believe, it speaks of Eli. It really says some revealing things. He was, he was like very overweight, like hundreds and hundreds of pounds overweight. They did not respect their father. He was a pig. He was just a slob. And you can see it. It lays out in chapter 4. You begin to see they had no respect for their dad. And as he began to speak a little bit of warning into their lives, they said, Yet whatever, who cares? You haven't cared enough to say anything until now. Why would we listen to you now? He had no moral authority. Next, he had no discipline. 1 Samuel chapter 3, there's a cool little story that all of us have heard in Sunday school. I love the story. It's very sweet. It's cute. It really is. It's Samuel. And here, Samuel is, he's got a little room in 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 Eli's house. I'm not sure the scenario on that. I'm I'm thinking it was because Samuel was consecrated to the Lord and Eli was a priest. And so maybe he was in Bible school. Who knows? But Eli was near Sam, uh, excuse me, Samuel was near Eli's room. He hears a voice. It's the voice of the Lord. He doesn't recognize the voice. He runs to Eli's room. Remember this story? Hey, hey, what do you need? What do you want? And Eli says, what? I didn't call you. What are you talking about? I didn't hear you. Go back to bed. He hears it again, right? Second time. Anybody ever heard this in Sunday school? It's a cool story, yeah. And um, Sunday school, I guess we haven't been in a while. Anyway, and uh, it, it's a cool story. He's, he, he comes back again. Hey, hey, Eli, did you say something? No, son. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed. He hears a third time. He runs to Eli. And Eli recognizes, oh, this is from the Lord. He says, the next time you hear it, he says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I want you to see here where this story picks up in verse number 10. And so the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel. Now I want to stop right there and say this about that. What I'd like to point out here in this little story here, which is, I think, really important in understanding this. Is that the story for many of us ends there. We don't, that's all I've really heard of the story all through my young teenage years was, Listen to the voice of the Lord. He's speaking. Listen. But what I've really never preached on or what I've really never heard anybody talk about is actually what the Lord said. So let's read that. Here's what the Lord said. He said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two, the, the two ears of everyone who hears it, hears it will tingle. 
On that day, I'm going to fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. No wonder our Sunday school teachers left that out. <laughs> can, you imagine, and can you imagine ending the story? And the Lord said, I'm basically going to kill your two sons. Because you wouldn't discipline them. I'm going to wipe them out. No discipline. And who suffered because he never disciplined his kids? He would not restrain them. His lack of discipline led to them blaspheming God, which basically led to their death. He had no discipline. And then number six, Eli had no responsibility. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. It says here that Samuel laid it to the morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel, after hearing what the Lord had to say, was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. And Eli calls Samuel and says, Samuel. And, Eli, and, Sam, and Samuel says, here I am. And Eli says, what was it that he told you? I can imagine Samuel saying, uh, can we eat breakfast first? This, this is going to make you sick. It's not good. And Eli responds and says, may God do so to you more. And also if you hide anything from, tell me everything he told you. So Samuel told him everything. Everything. And here was Eli's response. That's the Lord. Let him do whatever he feels is good. Okay, I just told you God's going to punish your children and take their lives, and that's your attitude? Well, whatever God wants to do is fine. This is your kids. I don't know about you, dads, but at this point, I'm begging for mercy. I'm falling on my face, and I'm confessing and repenting and saying, God, I've blown it, I've messed up. Take my life. God, kill me. Give my kids a second chance, God, please. Ah. Well, that's what the Lord said. So be it. Passiveness. Passivity that led to no discipline, no responsibilities. Can you imagine these kids and their father wounds? Can you imagine the times they wondered, does my dad love me? Does he really care? Can you imagine the times they wondered if they even mattered? Do I even matter to my dad? And that's where God the Father says today, as he sings over us, you do matter and you are loved by a God who loves unconditionally and no matter what. Thank God for the Father who's the perfect dad. Now, the dangers that exist where, pass, where, where fathers are passive are the next things I'd like for you to write down. And first of all, dangers exist because everything rises and falls on leadership, Dad. And if you're not going to be involved in your kids' lives, then here's what I would like you to do. Just put, the, put a danger sign over your, the front door of your house because everyone needs to be warned things are not going to go well if you continue to neglect. If you don't stand up and be a good dad who is involved in your kids' lives and make an effort to, to do something rather than nothing. Listen, I would rather step up to the plate and strike out 
than not try. Give it all you've got. I mean, at least get in the game. At least give it a shot. A dad on the job. We may be imperfect dads, but at least we can show up for the job and try. Amen? And then there's deception where fathers are passive. You know, I found this out. When my oldest son, Mo, who him and I have learned to be, he actually was more transparent about his little straying for a while than I was for a while. I was probably more embarrassed or maybe maybe it was pride. I don't know exactly because it's been a while since all this happened. But he had a little hiatus from the Lord and it, it could have really been disastrous. But you know, I was thinking back to when Mo was was doing these things. I thought he was doing good. He would say, Dad, I just lied to you and you'd believe him. You just, get, you just leave in town Monday anyway. It's easy to lie to you. You'd ask me a question. I'd say, oh, yeah, because I knew you was gone the next day anyway. He said it was easy to kind of just get away with stuff because you weren't around. Deception is easy where fathers are passive. You need to pray for Zoe. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and Joe, he turned out really good because... But you, you learn lessons. You see, if you learn your lesson on your first kid, just pray God will spare him and thank God God did spare him. Amen. You can become a better dad for the second, third, and on and on it goes. Now they probably would tell you that I can tend to be. And by the way, I'm not talking about being controlling. Please, please don't take this wrong. We can be too controlling. Amen. We can be. I get it. But to totally neglect the responsibility, I, I don't see that being positive. And then disaster awaits where fathers are passive. At first it's danger, then it's deception. But then, church, according to the stories that we've talked about for the past three weeks, and I know this hasn't been the funnest series in the world, I didn't expect for you to get too excited. I've had a lot of sobering conversations. It's been hard for me to preach, but I'm so thankful that I'm about ten minutes away from being able to say I've preached the whole counsel of the Lord regarding this subject because the fact of the matter is, there's a whole lot in the Bible about dads that were permissive, abusive, and passive. David. Think about the disaster. His son Absalom dies hanging from a tree, and, and here's David's words. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, would that I had died for thee. Well, David, if you'd have been more involved, you wouldn't have had to worry about that. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Saul, what a disaster as a dad. And then what about... Uh, Manoah and Samson, we talked about all these dads. And, and the illustration is simply this. There's a lot of disaster stories in Scripture that are given to us for an example that we might say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make those mistakes. And that's what this is all about. Fathers matter. Last week when I gave five levels of an abusive father, I think it was very helpful. Can I give five levels of a passive father? Number one, it's the unapproachable dad. The first level, I think, is just the dad where I'm just afraid to talk to him. You know, have you talked to your dad yet? Uh, every time I do, he screams. Every time I do, he yells. Every time I do, he says, go talk to your mother. I just, I'm afraid to talk to him. He's unapproachable. Number two, you've got the unavailable dad. 
Hey, have you talked to your dad? Uh, no use. He's never there. He's busy. He's always got something to do. Every time I ask him if he's got any time, he always says tomorrow, and then never happens. He's just busy. Number three, there's the unaware dad. This was me. Maybe some of you dads can relate to this. This is the famous Carol Ann story, you know. Well, she's in the kitchen cooking, and I'm watching ESPN. Honey, 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 Eric! Anybody been there? Any other dads? Okay, thank you, Scott. One, good. We got a couple guys that are willing to be transparent. And I can hear really good. Earth to dad. Earth to dad. This is the unaware dad. We're just sort of out there sometimes. And then there's the inaccessible dad. I just don't know where he is. I, I, I don't know. I, he just doesn't return my text. I, I, he's busy. He's, I just can't get a hold of him. I just, I just don't know where dad is. He doesn't really tell me. I don't, I don't know where he's working this week. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know where he works. I don't really know much about I just. And then there's the inapplicable dad. I don't have a dad. I don't know my dad. Truth of the matter is, all of those are in our congregation. There's a story about every one of those dads in this building. And our kids need us. And we need our dads. So dads, let's be approachable. Let's be available. Let's be aware. And this is the, the next note. Let's be accessible. And dads, let's be there. And you know what I like about that last statement, let's be there? You know, sometimes you're there, but you're not what? There. So let's be there. Let's not just be in the house, but let's be in the house. Amen? I love it. You know what? I want you to know as your pastor, I don't want to just be the guy that stands on the platform. I want to be the guy that is out there with the people. Man, I had a blast yesterday picking weeds with Diana Russo. It's fun. Diana told me this morning, she said, Preacher, that was the best one hour I've ever had with you. Just sitting in a bunch of weeds, pulling weeds and talking. You know, she's got to hear me talk up here every week for 45 minutes. But we got closer when it was just me and her picking weeds in the Burger Garden of Champions. Can I tell you, sometimes I think dads, parents, I think we think we're there because we supply food, we buy them clothes, we give them things. In fact, sometimes that's our mantra. Well, I do this for you. I gave you this. I work hard. I do. And you know what they really want more than anything? It's time. They do. They just want you to sit on the other side of the seesaw with them. And just go up and down. Yeah. They just want you to get on a swing. Go take a walk. They do. That's what they want. I promise. Oh, I know it's fun to give them a new set of keys to a car. It's fun to go to Walmart and say, pick something out. It's fun to get a Christmas bonus and say, okay, guys, let's go eat. And we'll go wherever you want. I, I get it. But that's not what they're going to remember most. What they're going to remember most is the fact that you took time to just be there. Now let's go to Zephaniah 3.17 on the screen. Here it is. You ready? Let's finish this. The Lord's your God. This is it. This is the verse of all verses for this series. This is the verse we've been talking about. Our Heavenly Father.
Father is the one who fills up the areas that we lack in. This is who we worship. This is who we, you know, I prayed with my son Josiah this morning and I said, as I, as I prayed over him, I said, I'm learning as a dad that where I blew it, God, God took care of it. God had mercy and, and God ministered to my son in areas that I didn't. But where I succeeded, guess what? Where I succeeded as a dad, all the glory goes to him. This is not about how good a dad I am. This is about how good a dad he is. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I have done nothing good because of me. Everything I've ever done that has been remotely good with my kids has been because God helped me to do it. God showed me an example of what a father should be. And we see that in this story, in this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst. The first thing we learn is he's very present. He's a present God. We talked about that. He's in your midst. He's there. He's always there. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He is a mighty one. He is a powerful one. He's a powerful God. He's always there to lift you up and pick you up. And, and then he is, he's going to, uh, he, he'll save you. He'll provide for you. And then he's going to rejoice over you with gladness. He's going to quiet you with his love. I love that. Don't you quiet you. We talked about that last week, remember? I experienced it this morning. I got up this morning, got my cup of coffee. I was up before anybody else was up. I got my little devotional chair, sat in that little chair, got my cup of coffee. You know what I did? I did the one thing that I enjoyed doing more than anything else. Sitting there in the quietness of the Capaci home, which is never quiet, ever, except for this moment. Every morning, this is the only time my house is ever quiet. Is when I get up early and I sit in that chair with my cup of coffee and I just sit there and I let God quiet me with his love. Now, I know like yesterday when I did this yesterday, I knew I had a big day. I knew we had to drive 45 kids to Magic Springs and it's going to be hot on that bus. And I knew we had, you know, uh, Shirley and, and Robert Posey's, by the way, congratulations, 50 year anniversary. Hallelujah. Congratulations. 50, 50, 50. <laughs> that was fun, you know. And I had a lot of other things going on. It was a crazy day. You know, we had all this going on. And I knew this morning I'd have to preach two times. And then we got, we got to go to the nursing home and uh, lay hands on two people and anoint him with oil. Scott, later on, I think he's going to go with me. And we've got a lot going on. It's going to be busy. And KJ may want to play uh, uh, Clue again. So I've got to get ready to get on the ground again. It's going to be busy. But you know why I'm okay with it? Because early this morning, when I sat down for a few minutes and had my coffee. He said, you got this. You'd have thought nothing was going on in the whole world. It was quiet. It hasn't been quiet since. But he quieted me with his love. And then he's been singing over me ever since. Very loudly. Telling me all day long up to this point and even beyond this in just a moment. We're going to sing a song over you with love. Here's the point and I'm, I'm going to close. He will. Notice those words. Number one, do you see the certainty of his love? This is not up for discussion. God doesn't say he might. God doesn't say, 
on his good days. God says he will. It's a certainty. God's love is an unchanging reality. Amen. Number two, it says, exalt over you. God's love for you is celebrated. You know what that word exalt is? That word exalt is, it's a word of cheer. It's a word of expression. It's exaltation. It is, okay, I'll tell you what it is. You ready? Here's what it is. Exaltation is what you do. Okay, it's what we do when I announce somebody's been married for 50 years. What happened? When I said that, what was your reaction? When I said, they've been married for 50 years. All right, so let's practice. This is not a trick question. So on the count of three, let's practice a little bit of exaltation. You ready? Just do your best shot. Just give it something. Ready? One, two, three. That's it. That's it. Some people clap. That's exaltation. When my kids get home tomorrow from China, there will be exaltation. Yes. I was thinking about Shane Robertson. His wife's been gone for 14 days. There'll be probably a little more than exaltation. Anyway, okay. And uh, my staff tomorrow will say, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> exaltation. It's excitement. It's wow. This is how, do you know, listen, do you know that God does that to you every day, all day? He does. He says to you, he says, Betty, we got this. I love you, Betty. You're the best, Betty. It's going to be okay. He's cheering you on, Betty. I mean, I don't know where you're at, but Travis, I know you just got a brand new baby. I'm sure you're waking up in the middle of the night. It's probably not easy trying to be a dad to a little one and having to be a dad to those other three little ones. But God says, Travis, you're doing great, buddy. I love you, man. You say, you think God actually says, I love you, man? Yeah, I do. I think he says, man. I think he says, you got this, girl. And for some of you real sophisticated theological people, he's saying, you've got this, brother. You can do it. Whatever you want God to say, whatever makes you feel good, God says, I'm good with that. We'll even say it like you need it to be said. He exalts over you. But then finally, not only is God's love for you a certainty and it's celebrated, but finally, in conclusion, it's vocalized. It's vocalized. That's why. We strike up the band. God's love ultimately turns into a song. That's why this church has fallen in love with worship. That's why we've begun to say, where has this been? I mean, wow, it's so much better when we've got an orchestra of new instruments. It's so much better when we can hear it. When it and, and you know what I love about songs? is I like the songs that start off like soft. And then they get louder. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, Tyler, it's like, uh, is Tyler going to be here for this one? He'll be here. I like it when Tyler, Tyler, I like it when you're like doing the, and then all of a sudden it goes, I mean, like, it's like, that's the coolest thing, man. I don't know how you do it. You got to teach me someday. What's that? You just hit things. Okay. I guess I could try that. I just hit things. I don't know how they start off. And then it builds up and it's like, that must be what God is talking about. 
He quiets us. And then he builds up and he says, I just can't control. I've got to tell you, this is how much I love you. So this week, I met with Jordan on Monday and I told him, I really want to finish with Zephaniah 317. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So Jordan texts me back that afternoon and says, Preacher, I found it. He sends me a song and I read the words to that song and I've listened to it over and over again. Church, this is it. This is what God is doing this morning. He's singing over you with loud singing. He loves you. He's quieting you with his love. Through the fire, through the flood, you can, you can trust. He will always be with you. If, you've in, if you're in this room and you just haven't had a great dad, maybe he hasn't been everything that you've needed and there's been some wounds, can I assure you, God this morning comes alongside you and says... I've taken up the mantle. I'm I'm your dad. And I'll always be there. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Sweetheart, come up in here and cuddle with me. Because I'll never abuse you. I'll never be passive. I'll never be permissive. I will only be exactly what you need. That's what God says to you today. And this song says it all. If you've had a good dad, you still need God the Father. Because your dad's not perfect. I think all my kids would say I've had a good dad, but they've not had a perfect dad. If they tell you that, they're lying. I've made a lot of mistakes. But I'm grateful that God the Father has always been there to fill in the gaps. Amen. So we're going to pray. And after we pray, I know we've handled this series differently. I've just, I'm just trusting that we're okay with praying with one another. We've not done the traditional invitation. We just said, look, pray together. Pray to God the Father. Enjoy his love. Let the worship team sing over you with loud singing. And as they finish and and as you conclude, if you want to stand in worship or just continue to pray, the altars will be open. I'm going to pray with my wife again. I just encourage you to pray. I just really believe this is what we've needed for this series. We've not needed the traditional invitation. We've needed a more intimate calling to prayer and to relationship with God the Father. Father, I love you. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for how you've helped us through these three weeks. God, I know we've been sensitive. Had to be. It's just, it's a, it's a touchy subject. I mean, we're, we're all on a different, in many ways, and we've got different experiences, some very painful. Lord, I just pray that you'd heal those wounds. God, may you grant forgiveness. Give us, Lord, the compassion to dig deep into the recesses of our soul and realize that, God, you love us. In spite of those things that have gone wrong in our lives, you've never gone wrong. You've never, never made a mistake. You've always been there. So, God, we trust you. and We pray this song would minister to our church. In Jesus' name, amen.